Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, today we're continuing our series called God and Politics. And if you were here last week, I'm a little surprised to see you back this week. So thanks for coming. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, and, uh, and just so you know, um, I appreciate the feedback I got. And even some of the feedback I got that uh, didn't agree with everything I said wasn't hateful. It wasn't contentious. Um, and so I appreciate your feedback because, again, this goes back to what we're talking about. We can, uh, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Um, we can disagree politically and love unconditionally, and that's what the goal for this series is, is to disagree politically and love unconditionally. And so last week I got a few, uh, a couple of pieces of feedback from people that maybe they didn't agree with me, but that's okay. That's what this series is about. And so I want to remind you, our ground rules for today is no feedback from the room. If, if I say something that might hurt somebody's feelings, I'm okay with them being upset with me. I don't want them to be upset with you. So if you amen something that I say that hurts somebody's feelings, they're gonna be mad at you too. So today we're just going to uh, keep our mouths closed and our hearts open for whatever God wants to speak to us. Um, I wanna start my message today with a question I ended with last week. And that question is this. Will you filter your politics through faith or will you craft a faith that supports your politics? And for many Americans, we have crafted a faith that supports our political beliefs rather than letting our political beliefs be, be shaped by our faith. And so what I want to do is just walk through what does that look like for us? Uh, last week, we talked about the, the question, what do you believe? What do you believe? And I believe that our beliefs um, are, are what shape our affections. And if I believe something about someone, it's gonna help me love them more. Or it's gonna cause me not to love them if I believe certain things about them. Uh, but I also know this, my affections direct my actions. So what I do is based on what I love and what my values are. And so we're going through this systematically. Last week, we talked about what do you believe. This week, we're talking about what do you love. Now, this is a broad question. It can be answered a lot of different ways. If you want to know generally what you should believe or what you should love, the best thing for you to do is just turn on some country music because they will tell you what you should love, right? If you've listened to country music for two minutes, if you've accidentally stopped on the station, you've probably heard a song that's told you what you should love. You should love God. You should love your nation, your country, the U.S. of A. You should love your pickup truck. You should love your girl. You should love your guns. You should love going to the river. Like, those are the big ones, right? <laughs> if we can get these down, then your life should be perfect according to Nashville. Now, um, that's great, and I don't have a problem with that. We can discuss that later. But, but really, in the context of this discussion, and the, the discussion of God and politics what do you love? Now, there's lots of things we could love. In the climate we're in today, a lot of people love a politician. Oh, they love their politician. They love their politician so much, they will end relationships, right? Even family relationships, I will never speak to them again because they said this about my politician. <laughs> the truth is, this stuff happens. If it hasn't happened in your family, you're blessed, but it happens. Why does this happen? This is, this is the interesting thing to me. What's interesting is many times the, the candidate for a political party 
is not the candidate that we supported in the primary. In the primary elections, many of us were like, this is my candidate, and then my candidate doesn't make it, and what do we do? We throw all of our support under this other candidate. And it's weird because all of a sudden we're not objective anymore. At one point we could see the candidate, we could go, oh, I don't like this person because this, 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 and this. But then when they're our candidate representing our party, we forget about all the stuff we didn't like. All of it disappears, and now they are the best possible candidate ever. We just lack objectivity. Now, I'll be honest with you. I can't see my daughters objectively because they're my daughters. I don't see them objectively. My mom doesn't see me objectively. And this is what happens with our candidates. We begin loving them to a point that we can't be objective about our candidate anymore. We we can't be open-minded about their strengths or their weaknesses very well. So we love our candidates. We love Trump. We love Biden. And that can be a problem. Now, I'll circle back to this thought in just a minute, but, but we love politicians. We love an ideology. Oh, conservatism is gonna save us. Progressivism is gonna save us. Big government is gonna save us. Small government is gonna save us. The free market. Socialism is our answer. If we had a socialist government, then we would be okay. There are even communists in the United States. Now, I'm grateful for a nation that all those people can express their voices and express their opinions. But this is the thing that's interesting about all those groups I just mentioned. All those groups believe Jesus is on their side. Did you know that? All of them do. And all of them can support their position in Scripture. Let me show you. Um, People who believe that the free market is the answer will say, well, Jesus was, he was probably conservative. And I'll prove it to you. The parable of the talents. What did the man say? The the rich man said, hey, I'm gonna give you some money. I'm gonna give you some money. I'm gonna give you some money. And I'm, I'm expecting you to make a profit. And the one who doesn't make a profit gets punished. That sounds like a rich conservative to me, right? Clearly, Jesus was a conservative. And then you go to the other end of the extremes, the other end, socialist or a communist, and they'll say, well, no, what, what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, hey, I follow all the instructions. I've, com- I've kept all the laws. What else do I need to do? And Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What is he doing? He's redistributing wealth. Jesus was a communist, right? So if we're gonna be honest about this, we can support whatever ideology we want from scripture if we are willing to take some things out of context because we all think Jesus is on our side. The question we need to be asking is, are we on Jesus' side? Yeah, we can support our politics with political, I mean, with with religious ideas, but is is Jesus on our side or are we on Jesus' side? Are we asking the right question there? You know what we love more than anything else, I think? I think we love being right. Oh, we're in love with being right. In fact, we're so convinced we're right that there's nothing you can say to convince me that I'm wrong. We will argue with people. We don't argue to learn. We don't argue to inform. We argue to win. That is the goal of arguing, it feels like. That if I just scream the loudest, if I type the hardest, if I say it in all caps, then I win. We love being right. And this can be a struggle. Um, because I said earlier, when, when we want to be right, we lose the ability to be objective. And this is a problem because our beliefs shape our affections. Do you, 
Do you know what we love in addition to being right? Speaking of right, we love our rights. Whether you are politically left or right, you love your rights. It's, I love my right to choose. It's my right to choose, right? It's my right to bear arms. We love the Second Amendment here in Western Pennsylvania. And I want you to know I love the Second Amendment as well. I think men should wear sleeveless shirts whenever they want. <laughs> I know that's a terrible joke. I've gotten a laugh in every single service from it. But the truth is we love our rights and we find comfort in our rights. You can't take my rights. We're comfortable in it. In fact, we get uncomfortable whenever people start talking about taking them away. And gosh, I think comfort is the enemy of growth in Jesus. In fact, I think intimacy with Jesus rarely flourishes in an environment of comfort. I think when, when, when we are in an environment of sacrifice and an environment of discomfort, that's when we see our, our intimacy with Christ ratcheted up a level. That's when we see growth happen. That's when we see development happen. Because we love our rights in the United States of America, and we love the power of the individual and what the individual has to say, but what we see is this is counter to the first century church and first century Christianity. Because the first century church was rooted in the collective good. The first century church um, made it a practice of sacrificing individual rights for the rights and the good of the body. And, and this is something that's important for us to understand, that there are times in Christianity that this is, that this is in uh, direct opposition to our politics, but there are, there are times in our Christian faith that we lay down our rights for the good of other people around us. Um, I, I just want to give you an example, but I believe that mature Christians should be willing to lay down their rights and their Christian liberties for the good of those around us. For me, um, I don't believe if you drink alcohol, you're going to go to hell, okay? I don't believe that. I believe Scripture says, makes it clear that, that drunkenness is a sin, but, but I don't believe that if you drink alcohol, you're going to hell for that. But what I also have chosen to do is not drink alcohol because I understand that even though I've got the right to do it, it might not be right for me to do it because it might offend or cause someone else to stumble. So for me, I, I say I've got this right, but I'm laying down this right for the good of the body. And this is something that we don't understand in our Western culture because our rights are supreme and we believe in democratic rule and everybody has a vote and this is important and we get a say. And this just isn't what scripture lines up with. In fact, if we're gonna be honest, Christianity doesn't fit neatly into the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or socialism or communism or any other ideology other than Christianity. All these things can fit in part to some degree or another. But like I said earlier, we all think Jesus is on our side, but at the end of the day, Christianity isn't a Republican thing or a Democratic thing. Christianity stands on its own. Christianity is doing its own thing. Christianity is going to make us uncomfortable in the political climate we're in. You know what else we love? And I hesitated to talk about this one, but I'm going to say it because, come on, let's offend some people. We love the United States of America. Did you just feel the tension in the room build just a little bit whenever I said that? So let me say this. Um, 
I am patriotic. I'm grateful for our nation. I love our nation. I'll even go so far as to say I believe that the United States of America is the greatest country on planet Earth. It could be the greatest country in the history of the planet. I, I believe that strongly. It does not mean that our nation is perfect. It does not mean that we're without flaws or challenges or issues. But I believe there's more opportunity for people in the United States of America than in any other country in the world. I'm grateful for our freedom. I'm grateful for men and women who have served. I'm grateful for men and women who have died to ensure that we have the freedom we have today. All the rights that we talked about, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the fact that we can meet in public and have church and we don't have to worry about somebody kicking in the doors and arresting us for our faith and what we're saying publicly. I'm grateful for that. It is not a problem to be patriotic. The problem comes when we believe that our patriotism is evidence of our faith in Jesus or when we begin to mingle our patriotism with our Christianity, that these things merge into something else. So I just want to confess something to you. And if you get offended by this, um, you, <laughs> you'll see. You really don't have a right to be offended by this because it happened a while back. So um, I've been at the church about seven years now. And less than a year in, we were doing some things on the stage and we made the decision to take the American flag and the Christian flag off the stage. And some of you right now are just now noticing that we don't have an American flag in the auditorium and now you're a little offended. And this is what I'm saying. We did it six years ago. You shouldn't be offended. You should have noticed it six years ago if you're gonna be offended, okay? And a couple of people did and we had a conversation and they said, why would we do that? Do we, do we not support our nation? Do we not support our troops? And I said, absolutely we do. But what I wanna be careful of is that we never get so focused on a symbol that it becomes idolatrous for us. And you go, well, that's absurd. How would that ever happen? Well, let me help you with this. Um, we don't have a cross in our auditorium. And it's not because we don't believe in the cross. It's not because we don't love the cross. It's not because we don't preach Christ crucified and salvation through him. It's just because sometimes we get hung up on symbol, uh, symbols, the symbology of things. We get so focused on the, the, the symbol that our worship terminates with that. And our worship shouldn't terminate with a symbol. So we don't have a, a cross in the auditorium normally. It's not because we're anti-cross. We got one in our lobby. If you're going out, some of you have never even noticed. We've got one in our lobby above the main door. And from time to time, we have one in the room. But we don't wanna get so hung up on the symbol that we miss the one we're actually worshiping. And if we have a flag on our stage, not just in the room, but on our stage, we're sending a message that patriotism is an important part of your faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what I want you to understand. There are people around the world that are not happy with the United States of America. In fact, they may hate the United States of America, but they love Jesus Christ and they're going to heaven. They're just as saved as you and I are. And I know that's hard for us to swallow. And I know that's hard for us to understand, but at the end of the day, our patriotism does not correlate with our faith in Jesus Christ. I told you last week that, that politics are temporary, but heaven is eternal. And I want you to hear this as well. Heaven is eternal. The United States of America is temporary. I am a proud citizen of the United States of America, but I'm more proud of my citizenship in heaven than I am in my citizenship in the United States of America. I'm glad to live here. I'm grateful for it but I will never forget where my primary citizenship is, and that's in Jesus Christ, and that's in heaven. So as we walk through this, it's easy to go 
Well, Mel, I don't appreciate the fact that you said this or this or this or this or whatever. And this is what I want you to hear. I'm not telling you not to love all the things we talked about. I'm not telling you not to love your political candidate or your party or your ideology or your country. I'm not telling you not to love those things. You should love those things. I want you to. But what the problem is, is when we love them too much and we love the things of God too little, what happens is our affections become disordered. And what I want to do today is reorder our affections, put them in the right place so that we will love what we're supposed to love well. We're love, we're, we love the things that Jesus loves primarily. So it's not that we love bad things, but it's that we love good things too much. There's a passage I think helps set up the rest of this message today. It's from uh, Luke chapter 19. In Luke 19, there was this guy named Zacchaeus. And scripture says he was the chief tax collector for that region. And Jesus was coming through Jericho, the area that Zacchaeus was. And, um, and, and tax collectors were hated. And I can't say this strongly enough. They were hated and despised by just about everyone, but especially the Jewish people. Because tax collectors were typically Jewish citizens who were employed by Rome to collect taxes from Jews. And also what they would do is, is rip off their countrymen, their, the Jewish citizens, for their own personal gain. So Jewish citizens saw the tax collectors as traitors and thieves. The worst thing you could be called was a tax collector, basically. They hated them. And so Zacchaeus was this tax collector and he heard Jesus coming through and he went to go see him. He just put eyes on him just to see him coming through town, but he couldn't because he was so short. So he went down the parade route, climbed up in a tree and waited for Jesus to come by. When Jesus comes by, he looks up at the tree, sees him. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. He knows who he is. He says, Zacchaeus, you need to get out of that tree because I'm, I'm gonna come to your house. Now, if you grew up in church and you sang the song about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Does anybody remember this? Four of us? Okay. So it says, some of the times we sing that song, it says, I'm coming to your house for tea. And it's just because it rhymes with we and tree. Um, he didn't actually drink tea, we don't think. So if you sing that song, you need to go slap your Sunday school teacher because they're teaching you heresy, okay? He said, I'm going to your house today is what he says. Anyway. So he says, I'm going to your house. I'm gonna come hang out. And people didn't like it because they were religious. And they're like, well, they're sinners. Why would he go to a sinner's house? Why would he take time? Why would he hang out with them? Why would he spend time with him? Can you believe? Because what they're saying is this guy's below you. So Jesus goes to his house. He spends time together. We don't have detailed description of what happens at Zacchaeus's house, but this is what it says in Luke chapter 19, verse eight. It says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. This is pretty incredible. So he's a wealthy man. He says, I'm gonna give half of everything I have to the poor. I'm gonna give it away. And then he says, I'm gonna give I'm, the people that I've stolen from, that I've ripped off, I'm gonna give them four times what I've stolen. This is a big deal. Do you know why? Because the law required him to give back 20% of what he stole. And he said, I'm gonna exceed what the law requires. And something happened in his interaction with Jesus where everything flipped, everything changed, everything shifted. And Jesus responds and says, salvation has come to this home today, but this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of God, or the son of man, I'm sorry, came to seek and save those who are lost. And this is his purpose statement. This is what he's laying out. He's saying, I exist to seek and save the lost. That's why I came, was to find those who are lost 
and make them found. And he gives this example. Now this story illustrates something that I believe is important for us as we're looking at our affections today. The first thing is this. I believe that proximity to Jesus will reveal our affections. If you get around Jesus, the things you love are gonna start to become evident. You're gonna start to understand what you really love in life, what you're really about. So, so let me give you an example. Maybe you start attending church. A friend invites you and you start coming to church. What happens? Before you ever make a commitment, before you ever surrender your life to Christ, you, you get around Jesus. You're in proximity to Jesus. You start seeing things, hearing things, feeling things. And, and the Holy Spirit starts to convict you about your disordered affections. The Holy Spirit starts to say, hey, you know what? Um, maybe you love this a little too much. And you're like, shut up, Holy Spirit. Leave me alone, right? You don't know what you're talking about. And the Holy Spirit begins to push on those tender parts of your heart. And you go, no, 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 it's fine. It's okay that I do this. It's okay that I go there. It's okay that I love this. And the Holy Spirit's revealing your true affections. He's showing you what you really love. He's revealing your disordered affections because you realize something's not right. Something's wrong. And what it is, the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, there's some things you love too much. Maybe they're not even bad, but, but they're good things that you just love more than you should. And there's some things that you should be loving that you're not, you're not loving enough. And we don't articulate it that way, but we get this conviction in our heart from the Holy Spirit that says something's wrong. So what happens is we come into proximity to Jesus and it begins to reveal our affections. But then, whenever we submit our lives to Christ, whenever we surrender our lives, we go, okay, I'm all in. What happens is intimacy with Jesus will transform our affections. See, we're convicted of our disordered affections before we come to faith in Christ. And then we come to faith in Christ and Jesus goes, all right, let's get started. Here, let me help you with this. Let me, let me put this in the right place. Hey, let me move this down. It's amazing how when we come to faith in Christ, our values begin to shift. There are things we used to love to do or love to be a part of or whatever it was that now it's like, mm, it's not that big a deal anymore. People spend hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars on all kinds of activities and behaviors and addictions and habits and all of a sudden they come to faith in Christ and they're like, you know what, maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe I don't need that in my life anymore. Maybe that's not a value for me. What happens, Jesus begins to transform our affections. He changes who we are. So we should love what Jesus loves, but what does Jesus love? Well, let me help you with that. I told you before, Good sermons, three points. Bad sermon today, two points. What does Jesus love? Number one, Jesus loves the church. He loves the church. Ephesians chapter five, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, he says, hey, um, let me tell you about how marriages should work because it's a picture of the church, but also uh, it helps you understand the church as well if you understand marriage. So he says, basically, uh, wives, you should submit yourself to your husbands just like the church submits itself to Christ. And husbands, you should love your wife sacrificially the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So he said, Christ loved the church, his bride, so much that he laid down his life. He died for the church. That's how much Jesus loves the church. It's frustrating to me when I hear people say things like, and I've, I've heard this from time to time, Pastor, uh, man, I haven't been to church in a while. I still love God. I'm still in a relationship with Jesus, but I just have a problem with the church. I'm just, I don't like organized religion. I just don't like the church very much. And it's like, what? Because like, I understand people get hurt in church and they get disappointed and all kinds of things happen. I get it. But if somebody came to me and they said, Pastor Mel, 
I want you to know something. I love you so much. I'm so grateful for you. You have changed my life. But I want you to know something. I can't really stand your wife very much. What? Yeah, she's just hard to get along with. At that point, I'd be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> Especially leading up to conference week. Woo! No! What's going to happen? I'm going to go, you have a problem with my wife? Go, well, yeah, it's because of this, 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 and this. And I'm going to say something like, if you've got a problem with my wife, you've got a problem with me. You can't be in a relationship with me and not like my wife. That's a problem, right? And at that point, I may, I may ask to lay hands on them so I can pray for them. I, Come here, buddy, let me lay hands on you. In the name of Jesus, right? Like, Because if you're in conflict with my bride, you're in conflict with me. So we have to love the church because Jesus loves the church. Now the word church that's used here in, in the Greek, it's a word ecclesia. And ecclesia is not where we get the word today for church. The word for church today actually comes from a German word kirch. It's K-I-R-C-H-E. And that's where we get the word church that we use today in the English language. And kirch means uh, basically it's the the house of the Lord. It's the place where we gather. Ecclesia means something very different though. Ecclesia is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place and assembly. So it's not just religious, it's any group of people who come together. And this is what I want you to hear. This is not about a location, it's about a movement. It's an assembly of Christians gathered for worship. It's those who anywhere in a city, village, constitute such a company and are united into one body the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth, every person who calls themselves a Christian, who's a son and daughter of God, worldwide is part of the church, part of this ecclesia, part of this movement, because Jesus didn't die to give us some place to meet on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights. He died to start a movement. He died to change people's lives, to influence culture, to transform people. That's what he died to do. See, church is the location in which we gather. Ecclesia is a gathering of people united by a common identity and purpose. Ecclesia is a movement. And I don't know about you, I don't wanna be a part of a church. I wanna be a part of a movement. It's easy for me to dislike church, a place that people gather. It's hard for me to be against a movement that Jesus loves and died for. See, the ecclesia of Jesus, it stood in opposition to the Roman system of class and hierarchy. See, in the Roman system, uh, social circles rarely overlapped. And there's this hierarchy that worked for them socially. So you had people that were separated by classes. You had people who were separated by ethnicities and nationalities, all kinds of things. People knew their lane and they stayed in their lane. But what the church specialized in was culturally disruptive unity. So what began to happen is, as the church began to form, people were coming, people were attracted to it, and they would come together from different social classes. People who would normal, normally never gather together came together, and their friends were saying things like, why would you spend time with those people? Why would you spend time with that guy? Why would you gather together with these people who are so different than you? And what it was is Jesus united people together, because basically what Jesus said was this, I'm beginning a kingdom, and you're all invited. And that is so different than what people experienced in the, Roman, in the Roman culture. That is not what it looked like. This is where Paul can write, and we've talked about it, Galatians 3, 28, 
Now there is neither Greek nor Jew, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither no, there is no male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. And when he says this, it does something revolutionary. Uh, Jordan Peterson, who is fairly um, fairly uh, offensive to a lot of people on the left, he said this in his book, 12 Rules for Life. He said, Christianity achieved the well-nigh impossible. The Christian doctrine elevated the individual soul, placing slave and master, commoner and nobleman alike on the same metaphysical footing, rendering them equal before God and the law. This is something that was upending Roman culture. So the Roman Empire began to decline and they were looking for answers. So the Roman Emperor Trajan was looking for answers. He was saying, what is going on? Things have been so good for so long. And they pinned the issues on the Christian church. They said, it must be this cult that started up. There must be something going on because these people are so different. These people are so counter to what we are and what our culture is, it must be something with the church. So he began to order local magistrates to persecute Christians, to arrest them, to, to even kill them at times. And so one of the magistrates that, that he dispatched was uh, a guy named Pliny the Younger. And Pliny the Younger is known to us today primarily because um, hundreds of his letters that he wrote survived from antiquity to today. And so he's got, I think, almost 250 letters that he wrote that are available that, that historians have in hand. And one of the things he did is he sent out spies to go check out this church locally. And so this is what he wrote. This is an actual letter, actual, actual excerpt from a letter that he wrote to Trajan, the emperor. He says this, the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn. So I'm gonna read this chunk by chunk because I wanna unpack this with you. So he says, the biggest thing that they did was that they met on, a, on the same day before dawn. So this wasn't their Sabbath because they were Jewish believers. So they still had Jewish heritage and culture. So they would have their Sabbath from Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown. And then their Sabbath was over. The next day, Sunday, they would go to work. So on Sunday, they would work. But before they would go to work on Sundays, they would meet together before dawn. If I announced this weekend, hey guys, we're not having church next weekend, we've moved services to Monday morning at 4 a.m., how popular do you think our services would be? But this is what Ecclesia does. Ecclesia motivates, it fires us up, it gets us excited because we're involved with something that's making a difference. And so he says they would meet on a fixed day before dawn, and they would sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God. And he said and they would sing to, to Jesus as if he was some sort of God or something. Isn't that crazy? This guy, this teacher, this, this carpenter from Nazareth, they would sing as if he was a, a God. This is what they're guilty of, getting up early on a work day and singing some songs to a guy that, he doesn't believe his God. And it says, listen, listen to this part. And to bind themselves by oath. So they took an oath, they were bound together, listen to this, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, adultery, not falsify their trust, nor to turn to trust when called upon to do so. He said, this group of people, they would come together and they would sing songs to this guy they would worship sacrificially in the morning before they went to work and they would make an oath to each other that they would love each other and care for each other and take care of each other, that they wouldn't lie to each other and that they wouldn't break trusts and confidences. This is what they were guilty of. This is what Pliny said in his letter to Trajan. 
Now, this sounds like something we would all want to be a part of, right? We all want community like that. But this was, this was subversive to the culture because Roman culture was self-centered. It was the individual focus. And what Christian culture was about was the body and taking care of each other and self-sacrifice. This is what it says in Luke 16, 16. Jesus said, until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides, but now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. I love this. Everyone is eager to get in. The gospel of Jesus is preached publicly. And when the gospel goes forth publicly, when the true gospel of Jesus is preached and people hear it, they come to life. Because it's not about showing up at a location on a Sunday. It's about joining a movement. And he says, and everyone is eager to get in. People want to be a part of this. They were coming together and saying, I want something that's different than our culture. I'm sick of this culture that we live in that's all about their self. It's all self-centered and self-motivated. I want something where, where we can take care of each other and be loved by each other and sacrifice it's attractive to people. So Jesus loves the church. And you should love the church. Not just a place where we gather, but the big C church, all the churches in our community who, who proclaim Jesus as Lord. We should love the church of Jesus, the ecclesia, the movement. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, um, what is the greatest command? And he says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two things, all the law and the prophets rest. So if you do these two things, you'll, the law and the prophets will take care of themselves. If you'll just love God and love people. So what is this saying? Well, we love God and we love the people God loves. So who does God love? We just saw this. God loves the church, right? That's why we're here. But, but God loves the church and he loves the people not yet in the church. See, Jesus loves lost people. He loves lost people. That's why the passage we just read a minute ago from Luke with Zacchaeus, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He loves lost people. And many times the conflict we have, we have with people who are lost. And we get angry, we get frustrated, and, and, and we expect them to act differently, but I wanna help you with something. Lost people act like lost people. Let me help you with this too. Sometimes found people act like lost people, unfortunately. And so what we have to do is extend grace and understand that the person I'm in conflict with is loved by God. That, that Jesus loves lost people. And if Jesus loves lost people, it is, it is important for me to extend grace to them. Jesus said in Matthew 18, uh, it's interesting in Matthew 18, uh, the disciples come to him at the beginning of the chapter and they say, hey, Jesus, who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this is obvious that they are jockeying for position, that they're trying to figure out where they fit on the flow chart. And Jesus, I can imagine Jesus like this face palm moment, like, oh, come on, guys. So the kid, come here. And he gets this kid in his lap and he says, hey, guys, you need to be more like this child. And so he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven. He starts talking about what it's gonna look like, uh, the values of the kingdom of heaven. And then he comes to verse 12 and he said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one wanders away, what will he do? 
Won't he leave the 99 others on the hill and go out to search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it's not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. So, so what Jesus is saying is God values the lost sheep. He values the lost one. It is Jesus's heart to make the lost found. And when we are in conflict with people who disagree with us, we have to understand that there are people who are loved by God. Um, passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 says this, most important of all, uh, Peter was talking about the end time events. You know, you're wondering when it's coming. And this is what he says, basically, to be ready for the end, this is what you should do. He says, continue to show deep love for one another or for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. I love this. Love covers a multitude of sin. Uh, have you ever met somebody or you worked with somebody or you talked to somebody and you thought, or maybe you saw somebody on television, the other political candidate, and you thought, how could anybody love this person? How could anybody love this person? Maybe it was your boss. We've all had somebody like that, haven't we? Let's be honest. We're all pious and holy. No, I love everybody, Pastor Mel. Come on now. There have been people that I've wondered, how could anybody love this person? But somebody does. Did you know that? Somebody does. It may be a mom or a spouse. But somebody does. Do you know why? Because they love them. Love covers a multitude of sin. I said earlier that, that I can't look at my daughters objectively. Why? Do I, do I know they have faults? Absolutely. But do you know what happens? Love covers a multitude of sin. My mom is insane. I am her baby boy. She knows objectively that I'm not perfect, but she loves me. Anyway, do you know why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. If this is true, maybe love could cover the sin of being a Republican. Maybe love could cover the sin of being a Democrat. Maybe love could cover the sin of being progressive or conservative or socialist or or an idiot, or a loudmouth, or obnoxious. Because we've all encountered those people and we've all felt like I don't have to love them because, but love covers a multitude of sin. And the person that you're in conflict with loves, is loved by Jesus so deeply that Jesus gave his life for them. The person that you're in conflict with that you think is an idiot, that you think is horrible, that you think is unlovable, I want you to know something. Jesus loved them so much, he gave his life for them. And he loves them just as much as he loves you. 1 John 4, 8 says this. This is my last verse I wanna share with you. It says this. Anyone who does not love God, or does not love, does not know God because God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Now, this isn't talking about somebody who is absent of love, someone who doesn't love anyone. What it's saying is someone who chooses not to love someone doesn't really know God. Because if they really know God, 
and God is love, if they really know God and they're one with him, then, then love will be pouring out of us. It will exude from us. Does that mean it will be perfect all the time? No. But what it's saying is we should default to love. We should start with love. And if we don't, then that's evidence that maybe we don't really know God. See, Jesus loves lost people. He loves Republicans. He loves Democrats. He loves Donald Trump. He loves Joe Biden. And when you have bitterness or anger or hatred in your heart towards someone, you're in conflict with someone that Jesus died for. You're in conflict with somebody that God loves deeply. And if you don't love, what John says is you probably don't know God. Is it a problem that you love your political candidate? No. Is it a problem that you love your party? No. Is it a problem that you love your country? No. But love them appropriately. Order your affections biblically. Say, Jesus, help me order my affections in a way that brings you glory. If, if I love something too much, show me. If there's something I, I love that I don't love like I should, show me. Order my affections biblically. As we close out, I wanna finish with a couple of the ideas that we talked about last week. And we're gonna talk about these next week as well. But I want you to continue to pray this prayer with me. Pray for unity. Make us one so we can influence culture. Start with me. Just like the first century church that the Roman government stood up and said, okay, we've got an issue, we've got a problem, maybe it's their fault because they are doing something different. How cool would it be if the church of Jesus would begin to be so subversive culturally, so counter to what's normal in our world that the government began to stand up and go, what is going on? What is happening with the church? What is happening at Summit Church? What is happening with the churches in Indiana County? They're influencing our culture. People are being changed. Not just going to church, but their lives are changed because of this. And God, don't start in somebody else. Don't fix them. God, fix me. God, if my beliefs are out of alignment with yours, fix them. If my uh, affections are disordered, fix them. Start with me. And then the other thing that we talked about last week that I would encourage you to do, because I'm sure there's many of you that did not do it, find an opportunity to love unconditionally someone you disagree with politically. Find somebody. Find somebody with a Trump sticker on their car, a Biden sticker on their car, and bless them. Stick a gift certificate under their windshield. Um, pray for them, bless them, encourage them, whatever it is. Find a way to bless somebody, to love unconditionally someone you disagree with politically. This is just, it's an exercise for our heart to help bring our hearts into alignment with God's. God, order our affections biblically. You know, the first thing we have to love is Jesus above all else. He has to be our primary affection. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online and you realize that, that he is not your primary affection. I wanna give you that opportunity today to say, Jesus, maybe, maybe my affections have been revealed because I've been in proximity to you, but, but I want my affections to be reordered because of intimacy with you. I want you to take control so I wanna give you that opportunity today and I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room.
Heavenly Father, have your way with us over these next few minutes. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. I pray that if, if our affections are disordered, Lord, I pray that you would reveal it to show us those. And I pray that our hearts would be submitted to you fully, that you could be in control, you could be Lord, and you could reorder our affections in a way that brings you glory. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God, I'm not really in a relationship with Jesus, but I know I need to be. In fact, I recognize today that I've got some disordered affections and there are some things that I love more than I love God and, and I need him to be number one in my life. And I want you to pray with me that, to make Jesus Lord, truly Lord of my life. If that's you, with nobody looking around, I would ask you just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, thank you, am I right? Who else would say, Mel, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. I wanna surrender everything to him. I wanna make sure he's my top affection. Just a few more seconds, anyone else? Yeah, thank you, on my left, I see you. Praise God, you can put your hand down, sir. Thank you. Awesome. The word of God tells us, if you confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I just wanna ask you, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud, everybody in the room, everybody watching online, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud and I want you to, to believe it from your heart. So pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving Jesus, your only son, to pay the penalty for my sin on the cross. From now on, he is Lord of my life and he is savior. Forgive me for my sin and help me live a life that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's give God a round of applause this morning. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us today, whether you raised your hand or not, and you meant it from your heart, the scripture tells us you're a new creation. So we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And, and really for us, it's important that we can help you take that next step. Uh, this is evidence of your faith, it is us being able to help you grow in your faith. So if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, uh, let us know about it. And you can text the word different to the number 94000 different to 94000. When you do that, we're going to respond back to you and we're going to help you take the next step. We're going to get you resources in the mail and uh, help you grow in your faith. If you'd like, if you're here in the room, you can simply fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you that says salvation. If you fill that out and then drop it at one of our tables as you're leaving, they're going to give you a gift as you uh, are, are leaving the building today. So thank you for worshiping with us. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us, uh, please text us. Let us know. And uh, we'll help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can connect with as well. So thank you for worshiping with us today. Um, guys, I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. Well, let me back up. Prayer team is gonna be available. I forgot. Prayer team is available. Uh, they're gonna be up here at the front of the room as we're dismissed. Some of our staff is gonna be here to pray with you as well. So if you'd like prayers, we're being dismissed today. Find one of our prayer team. Feel free just to make your way forward. Find one of them. Let them agree with you before you leave today. So I tell you often. I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. I hope you have a great week. And ladies, we hope to see you this weekend for She Is. God bless you.